the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, September 17th. We do apologize for the delay in releasing today's episode. Some of you listeners may be aware of this fact, but for those of you that are not, we are hosting another one of our Cracked Rackets events here this weekend in Indianapolis, a UTR tournament for both men and women, and we've been so fortunate to be able to to get to host a couple of events now. Of course, given we're in the midst of a global pandemic, there really aren't that many opportunities for junior and college-level players to get out there to compete against one another, do the things they need to do uh, to continue to improve in their games, to become the best tennis players they can be for so many junior prospects. You know, going out playing tournaments is the best way to accumulate data that they can then send to college coaches across, you know, the country to, you know, try and continue their tennis careers as well. And so for us here, at Crack Rackets, of course. We are so grateful to get the opportunity to host another event. Of course, we will have the same strict safety and health guidelines in place as we did when we hosted events in July and in June. But, you know, we're really excited because it's always so fun to be back in the tennis environment, even when it's behind a mask. You can still see everyone's eyebrows raise, everyone's eyes wide open, their smiling faces being back in the tennis environment. And as, as a tennis player, you just feel at home. And so, of course, we are, you know, busy whether it's draw time, setting up matches, accommodating those who are coming in from across uh, different parts of the country. That is what we have been up to here as that tournament gets underway tomorrow. Really excited for that. But of course, uh, that meant a delay in recording today's mini break podcast. And given that delay, of course, given that uh, most of the matches right now going on across the globe, of course, all of us focused on the Masters and Premier Mandatory event in Rome. But, uh, you know, today's matches have already played out. I think Nishi. Corey Musetti and then Monfils and whoever Monfils is playing it's slipping my mind at this moment they are still on court right now uh, but of course we will have a recap of today's matches on tomorrow's mini break which will be much more appropriate released uh, timely released because I won't have time to record that tomorrow so I'm going to be recording that later tonight nevertheless it was a really interesting Wednesday of results in Rome of course there are other things going on across the globe right now in the tennis world bundles of ITF events a challenger right now going on in last. You want to talk about all of that action. And of course, the reason we're able to bring you these podcasts day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. You know the deal. Look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports, Aerobar, Cracked Rackets. At Midwest Sports, you're going to find anything you could possibly need as a tennis player. You want to look fresh. You think that Nike Agassi line, you just you have to gift yourself some. That 90s throwback gear, you're all in on that. They've got that at the store. You're an Adidas person, or maybe you're just looking for a new racket, a new set of strings, whatever it may be, something to adjust your game, make it that much better. Uh, They've got it all for you at Midwest Sports. You go to MidwestSports.com. Their staff can help you out as well. And you use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And of course, best of all, uh, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Uh, Be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Let them know we sent you there. Also, go check out our friends at Aerobar, who offer the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. And what do we learn uh, as these players are coming back to the court? It's that those who are in shape, those that are fit right now, they just have an inherent advantage against their opponents. And I know it's rec tennis. It's not as serious as maybe those professionals out there, but seriously, you can get an advantage on the court as well by taking your nutrition more seriously 
You can do that with our friends at Aerobar. You use the promo code CRACKED15. You're going to get 15% off your order as well. Let them know we sent you there. And again, we are so grateful for the continued support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Midwest Sports promo code is CR15. Aerobar, the promo code is CRACKED15. Okay, with that in mind, let's get to our results from Rome. And as always, we're going to start with the ladies first. Let's look uh, at some of the results that we were put, that were put up. And again, things have slowly started to stabilize. We saw a lot of upsets early on, a lot of funky matches now. There are a couple of players we circled as we haven't seen in a while. You know, I talked about this on the GSP Ace of the Day. They were stayaways for me uh, simply because I had not seen their level, how they are performing. Uh, some of those players, let's start with Belinda Bencic, knocked off by a really informed Donka Kovinic, uh, 6-3-6-1. Bencic just struggled to find her rhythm. She really just, the, the shot making was there. She's someone who wants to extend the ball to the outer third. She's someone who wants to change direction on you, be the aggressor. And there was just, there's a lot of errors. And it's a credit to Kovinic, who's played some really good tennis this week in Rome. But for Belinda Bencic, again, better to get this loss out of the way now than first round in Paris. But uh, would not shock me to see her play another event in the lead up to the French if she can, because uh, this was not the showing. I am sure that she was looking for some of the other players. A little bit shaky in their restarts. Alina Svitolina and and Anastasia Pevlchenkova both resetting uh, their 2020 season here in Rome. It's Fidelina uh, who's able to emerge, and I believe Fidelina is the defending champ, but she's able to emerge 6-3-7-6 in this one for, for Svitolina. You know, I thought a lot of the ra- uh, match was on Pevlchenkova's racket, but that's a credit to Svitolina who continues to move so well on this surface, continues to just track down that extra ball and put herself in a position to have success. And again, it wasn't the prettiest of matches uh, for Force Fidelina, you look at her numbers, only made 51% of her first serves, but, you know, saved seven of the 10 break points she faced, was four of eight on her own break point chances. You know, 32 of 47 on first serve points is pretty good, and in terms of receiving points won in this match, you know, she did a pretty good job. She won, let's see, in total, I believe, what, I think something like 29 of the uh, of the 65 she played. So, you know, right around uh, 50, per, or a little under 50%, but a little bit over 40%, uh, like right around 45% is what we're looking for. Anyways, she just put herself in a position to compete in every point, and Pavelchenkova ended up giving her the error she needed. She played a really solid tiebreaker, and in the end, that's enough to get you over the hump here. So, Alina Svitolina back on the board, and you know, for so many of these players, it's just match play. That's why if, you know, if someone loses in the round of 16 quarterfinals in a second match, that's a little bit weird. I'm not too worried about that because there are going to be some funky results. And, you know, those players who can grind through right now who aren't playing their best tennis but can still manage to put wins on the board, uh, obviously that's something that's very notable. That's something we saw from Serena a bunch in the lead-up to the U.S. Open, right? Just kind of clawed her way uh, to advance through top seed early on, just kind of clawed her way. Uh, to advance through the Western and Southern Open before she was knocked out. Now here, uh, you know, again, you're seeing some of these other players now, the Svitolinas of the world. Simona Halep kind of clawed her way out yesterday as well in her matchup, or yeah, yesterday, I guess, and a straight set win uh, over, I believe it was Jasmine Paolini. That was a really good result uh, for Halep because Paolini's been playing well of late, but again, another player uh, finding her rhythm there. A couple of other players who are finding their rhythm now, 
really good win, in my opinion, for Karolina Pliskova, 3-3 three and three over Barbara Striskova. Just didn't even mess around there. Vika continues to rock and roll. She was down early. The Venus comes back to win it 7-6-6-2. And we're going to talk about Vika tomorrow, folks, because she did something historic uh, during her match on Thursday versus Sophia Kennan. But, you know, we were wondering how quickly, how is she going to be able to make the translation across surfaces? Will she be able to do it quickly? Uh, the answer seems to be yes. The answer seems to be Vika Azarenka has found her confidence, has found her form, and that's a really scary prospect for every other player right now in the women's game, but great match for her uh, to get through that one over Venus Williams. Uh, some other notable winners on the day, you know, Elise Merton, 6-2-6-4 win for her over Lynette, fairly straightforward. Thought it was a really good win for Elena Rabakina, 7-5-7-6 uh, over Marie Buzkova. Buzkova just asking every question of Rabakina. Rabakina too big with that forehand, too much power, able to dictate. She's able to take that match five and six. Uh, served for the match twice, I believe, up five, four, and six, five in that second set. Buzkova able to fight back both times. There was a long injury timeout before the breaker started. Obviously, that allowed Rabakina to kind of gather herself, get solid, and then ultimately seven, three in that breaker. So great win for her. Uh, there were a couple of three set results on the day. I'm not going to lie. I did not get to see much of Blinkova versus Bolsova. Blinkova taking that one four six six one seven six. I did get to see Yastremska versus Anisimova, and it was funky. Like, there's a lot of big shots, a lot of missing, a lot of short rallies. I'd say the average length of a rally in this match, probably 2.3 shots officially. There was a couple that got, you know, serve plus one and maybe a little extended beyond that, but, you know, a lot of big serving in this one, a lot of big hitting. I really did think Anisimova should have won the match in straight sets. You look at what she did well. Made a ton of first serves in this match. Made 70% of them. Now, her win percentage, not that effective on the serve. 40 of 70 on the first serve. 15 of 31 on the second serve, but that's just because a lot of the time, Diana Stremska is going to hit a big first ball, and she's either going to win the point with that first ball, or that first ball is landing, you know, two countries over from wherever she's playing. And so for Yastremska, it continues to be volatile. 11 double faults, only a 52% first serve percentage, but she wins 69% of those first serve points. When the first serve goes in, it's absolutely a weapon. And then, you know, five of seven for her on break point chances versus, you know, she fights off five of the 10 break points she faced. She did enough in this match to survive. And it was really impressive for Yastremska. Back-to-back three set wins now over Georgie, over Anisimova. I mean, Yastrzemska, the sort of athlete, hits the sort of ball. It doesn't matter what surface you're playing on. She's absolutely uh, a threat to win any match she plays. She's that sort of talent. It's really interesting, of course, to also see she's now coachless, her and Sasha Bajin going their separate ways. And, you know, Yastrzemska managing to survive thus far this week. It's it's been volatile, as it always is, but that was a really good win for her. And again, those were our results on the women's side. You look for the men's side. Uh, again, really interesting day of results. I thought the top seeds, uh, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, they cruised respectively through their matches. I mean, Rafa could go probably three years without playing a clay court match. Then you throw him on a clay court, and as long as he's been training, he's still going to beat whomever he's playing one and one Obviously, it helped that he faced a Pablo Carreno Busta, who 
is coming fresh from New York, who played a ton of tennis, obviously, and hasn't had much time to work on his game on the clay of late. But, I mean, Rafa just blitzed him. He did everything you expect Rafa to do on the clay. He is, without a doubt, you know, he's the favorite to win the French Open until someone beats him at Roland Garros. And so, you know, one-in-one win for him, not surprising. Novak Djokovic, 6-3-6-2 over Caruso. He's back on court for the first time, obviously, since he was defaulted from the U.S. Open. And, I mean, he just looked locked in. I'm telling you, that I, I know I just said Rafa's the favorite because his track record proves as much, but the Djokovic revenge tour narrative, the Djokovic just blitzing his way through everyone being like, you don't understand. I just gave up a U.S. Open title. I'm still undefeated in terms of matches that go from start to finish, and him blitzing through everyone on the clay, him beating Rafa in a final to sort of get past what happened at the U.S. Open. That's just the storybook. That's the Novak Djokovic story we're all expecting to see. Uh, Would not shock me at all to see that happen. Some of the other winners on the day... Philip Kranovich, 4-1 over Chechenato. Chechenato clearly still hurting physically from his match with Edmund the day before, but Kranovich continues to rock and roll. Ditto for Grigor Dimitrov, who was a 1-0 winner over Yoshi Nishioka. And I have to say, after the match, both Dimitrov and Nishioka complaining to the line judge, uh, Dimitrov going on and on saying, why are there so many bad bounces? Then Nishioka, who is the kindest human in the world, chimes in and says, hey, these courts are awful. And for Nishioka to say that to a tournament director to show any sort of disrespect to a facility because that's just not what he does, uh, that tells me those courts are awful. And you watch some of these bounces, it's laughable. You're like, really? That's what's going to happen when it hits a line or that's what's going to happen when it hits a divot? What are we doing here? Is this not a Masters 1000 event? Is this not a premier mandatory event and we're going to have these funky bounces? It's just... Sometimes you're just like, come on, we're better than that. But, you know, a great win for Dimitrov just rolled over Yoshihito Nishioka. Really good win for Marin Chilich, who faced a David Goffin, clearly not playing his best tennis, clearly also still struggling to make the transition. But 2-2 two and two for Chilich, that's about as good of a win as he's had in the past 12 months. Matteo Berrettini, he looked good in his first match on the clay, 5-1 and one over Federico Coria. Stefano Trevaglia continues to rock and roll for the Italians. He earns a 7-6-7-5 win over Borna Chorich, and that leads me to one last result, the most notable result on the day on the men's side, a battle between the last two next-gen, uh, ATP next-gen champions, Yannick Sinner and Stefano Tsitsipas. Yannick Sinner in this match, 6-1, 6-7, 6-2 victory over Tsitsipas, and this was a match where Sinner had a big lead in the second set, and it's a credit to Tsitsipas, who just throughout the match was not playing his best tennis. I mean, you look at the stats, he only made 59% of his first serves. He only won 53% of those points, 49% of his second serve points versus Sinner, who was at 68, 69, 69% respectively with those three numbers. I mean, this rack, this match was on Yannick Sinner's racket the entire time, and obviously for Yannick Sinner, with this win, he becomes the youngest player to defeat a top 10 opponent on clay since Krajinovic beat Djokovic in 2010. He's the last to win, you know, uh, win a, a match like this, just so dominant over Tsitsipas. And, uh, you know, it, it's just another accomplishment for young Yannick, who just hits the ball so big, who clearly plays on his terms always. And he continues to move better and better as well. The way he's able to control the baseline, take balls early, just overwhelm you with his power. He's so fearless from any position on the court as well. I mean, the guy is just 
the guy's a beast. And so, you know, he did a really good job on picking on the Tsitsipas backhand with both his serve and his ground strokes. He didn't let Tsitsipas come forward with ease. And yet for Tsitsipas, I mean, this just wasn't a clean match. That's why there's not much to say in this. Tsitsipas just didn't play very well. Um, and I, you want to say, oh, is he still mentally hurting from the loss he took to George? I think two things could be true. He could be hurting, but that had nothing to do with this result today. This is just, this result was as, it's not to take away from Yannick Sinner, who won this match clear, you know, straightforward. He was just dominant in every phase of the game, from the serves to the returns to the baseline to the net. He didn't let Tsitsipas, you know, other than that stretch between, what was it, 5-2 in the second set through Tsitsipas taking the the breaker or whatever it was, you know, there was no point in the match where Tsitsipas was in control. It was all on Yannick Sinner's racket, and yet a lot of that had to do with Tsitsipas just not comfortable with the Rome conditions, not comfortable on the surface, and so for him, ultimately, uh, just too good uh, from Yannick Sinner to advance in three sets, and by the way, again, that's a really good win for Yannick Sinner, who you look now in the live rankings for Sinner, who was just flying up the ranking board at the end of 2019, obviously uh, slowed down by the fact that there hasn't been much ma- many matches uh, going on over these past five and a half months, but he now finds himself at number 73 in the live rankings, and at 19 years old, uh, that's exactly where you want to be, inside the top 100, going to get into 90% of the events you play, although I'm sure for him, he's going to get a lot of wild cards headed his way as well, but you know, for him, outside of the Masters, which he'll still have to play qualifying, which is honestly a good thing for a 19-year-old. Uh, he's now going to get into any ATP-level event he wants. He's not going to have to go play challengers. He can focus his schedule now on a full ATP schedule, and I think that's a really good thing for Yannick Sinner. Uh, oh, excuse me. He's number 73 in the race. That's not what he's in in the rankings. I was going to say, that doesn't sound right, although that actually doesn't sound too off either. You look for Yannick Sinner right now, where he is at in the rankings. The Sin Man, no, he is number 73. Excuse me. That's five off his career high of number 68 and again that feels about right for him although one more win here in Rome he'll move his way into the top 65 for the first time in his career he'll be at number 61 now we're talking about hey he might not need to ha- have to play qualifying for Masters events if he can just get a few more points under his belt he'll be inside the top 50 in no time and again 19 years old folks that is a talented uh, young man it is someone we will certainly be watching a lot of these next 10 years on tour uh, those were the big results through Rome on the first two days. Now, again, uh, all of these matches, but two, uh, pretty much done on the day. But it was a really fun slate of matches, things such as Kenan Asarenko. We're going to talk about, folks. Muguruza Goff was a ton of fun. Umber Fodnini, again, we continue to learn these data points. We should plug in the back of our brain as we start to approach this French Open. Uh, but, you know, that was a fun result. Um, you mean, there are upsets across the board, too, just really interesting things. I don't want to give away the the board, but, you know, I'll tell you this. We'll be talking Hercatch Rublev tomorrow because I watched a lot of that. We'll be talking Azarenka Kennan tomorrow because I was very easy. It was very easy for me to watch all of that. I did watch a lot of Kaspar Ruud Sinego. I went and watched Kontave Kuznetsova. I have thoughts, needless to say. But, you know, again, the, the play in Rome delivering. And we're starting to see these players start to find their rhythm on the clay. We're starting to see, you know, who's got the goods to make a run at the French Open? Who are the names we should be circling, and ultimately that's all we can ask for through these two weeks as we try and prepare ourselves for the year's third and final major. Uh, but that was all of the big play happening in Rome. Again, there's some other stuff going on in the tennis world I just want to get to briefly. We're going to keep today's mini break on the shorter side, and then we'll bring it back tomorrow for a 
full breakdown. But just a quick reminder, again, we do have the Challenger event going on in Romania uh, as of right now. Uh, quarterfinal set there. Really fun slate of quarterfinal matches. Munar versus Menendez. Menendez, Machieres versus Carlos Taberner, uh, who had a really good three-set win over Kathper Zouk, which we knew was going to be a good match. You've also got Matthias Borg versus Yuri Rodionov, and then you've got Felipe Meleghini, Rodriguez Elvez taking on Pablo Andahar. All of those names, or at least many of them, uh, you're going to see them either in French Open qualities or you're going to see them as dangerous opponents looming for these seeds in first-round matches at the French. So, again, we're just gathering our data points, a ton of fun matches at the ITF level as well. Names we uh, love here, Daniel Kukerman, the Kuki Monster, Nuno Borges, NDN, Never Doubt Nuno, uh, both going on great runs right now at the Futures level, so be sure to go check that out. And, of course, if you want to hear our picks, our previews of each day's matches, be sure to listen to our GSP Ace of the Day every morning on the Great Shot podcast feed. Uh, Those are the results. I wanted to mention just a couple of quick storylines, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Joe Wilfred Songa, not going to surprise anyone, but he announced he's going to be out for the remainder of 2021, uh, the 2020 season as he tries to get healthy, uh, you know, and he tries to come back positively uh, for that 2021 season. Not a retirement update just for him. Again, it's about staying healthy, staying uh, motivated, getting himself ready in a position to where he can compete at the level he wants when he is back on tour. We also learned World Team Tennis announcing its date for 2021 All-Star Weekend and its 46th season. Now, of course, all of this, I'm sure, will be subject to change if we are still in the midst of a global pandemic, if we don't have a vaccine or just a way to, I suppose, carry out our lives in, with the sort of normalcy we were all so used to uh, prior to COVID-19. But as of right now, All-Star Weekend going to be February 26th to February 28th. It's looking like the 2021st all Star, so that is locked in, uh, and that's something obviously to be really excited about because uh, last week, uh, last year, the first All Star Weekend that was really fun, and you know they've locked in the season for July 11th to July 25th. So again, those are I'm sure very tentative dates, but for now, that's what we're circling. And obviously, we all loved the 2020 World Team Tennis season; it was such a needed thing for us after three and a half, four months of just nothing. Uh, and obviously, as a product, it's something we've enjoyed here at Crack Rackets for quite a bit of time, but, you know, we saw the level of play, the way it led to runs from people like Tennis Sandgren or Jess Pagula and just the way they were able, Jennifer Brady obviously played World Team Tennis as well. So many names can go up and down the board uh, playing in that World Team Tennis, using that momentum to build for tennis's restart. Obviously, that's something that happens year in, year out uh, in the American hardcourt summer, but really looking forward to seeing that take off in 2021. And again, it's also going to be interesting to see how, you know, and I've talked to Carlos Silva about this. I'm sure he will come on the podcast someday before the start of next season to talk about it. But, you know, we learned it was delightful. And I know speaking to players, they absolutely enjoyed being in one location for the duration of the season. And, you know, you're building a brand like World Team Tennis. Of course, you want to spread from city to city. Of course, you would love as many fans in, you know, a Midwest city as you would on the East Coast or in the South or in the West Coast. And, uh, you know, for players, the travel that comes with World Team Tennis, oftentimes that's what makes it so difficult to them for them to commit to. Because, you know, if you're taking a break and you're not playing tour events, the last thing you want to be doing is traveling for additional events uh, in the midst of the season. And obviously, they didn't have to do that this year. And so not only did I think that led to more players buying in, uh, but I also think it led to just a higher quality product. And, you know, again, uh, 
Carlos Silva thinks about all of these things, so I'm sure it is on the top of his mind. How can they incorporate the things that went well this year moving forward into world team tennis? At the same time, you know, they I expansion. There's a Chicago team that has never played a match in Chicago, and of course, they want to do that. They recently expanded to Orlando and Vegas. Why not take advantage of those new teams, certainly, and those new locations? Uh, but it's all going to be very interesting to monitor as, again, that is still a bit of time, I suppose, but, you know, it'll be July 2021 before we know it if we've learned anything so uh, that was just an interesting thing as well uh, one other tidbit I wanted to mention and then we can wrap there was a, you know there's this weird thing about uh, Dominic Team's former coach uh, I believe Gunther Bresnik has sued the team family uh, according to an article in German press and you know what does that have to do with the fact that you know for Dominic Team, he's the highest yielding player uh, on tour in 2020 and you look at for Dominic Team, he's the 11th highest grossing player of all time on the men's side in terms of prize money yielded. He's 11th already with over just uh, right around $27 million in total prize money won. Alex Zverev already 16th on that list, $22.5 million. That's crazy. I mean, some of these names already up here. You're like, haven't you only been playing tennis for like two, three years? I mean, unbelievable. Milos Raonic behind Alex Zverev. That, that's what's really shocking, that Raonic, Dimitrov, who was a year-end tour final, Medvedev, that they're all behind Zverev already. Uh, that shows you how prize money has skyrocketed at these big events, folks. But, you know, yeah, that, that's, uh, again, just a little uh, a little tidbit for all of you. That comes from our friend at Anna K underscore forever. Oleg, of course, one of the best followers on tennis Twitter. Uh, and then one last thing, because you all know my fandom for college tennis. I uh, am also a guy who went to Michigan. I'm, I've been a Big Ten guy my whole life. And, you know, I completely understood the Big Ten's decision to not play football this fall, given just, you know, for so many different reasons. A, if you're not going to have students on campus and you're going to tell the athletes they have to come back and they have to compete and that they're going to be subject to all this rigorous testing that normal students won't be subject to, uh, A, that's not an amateur anymore. That's an employee of the school. And, you know, again, that's part one of the decision. So I don't think it was right for them to ask athletes to do that. At the same time, you know, you have heard so many athletes come out and say, hey, we want to play football. We want to play our sport. And we've heard, you know, players come out and coaches come out and say, look, uh, players are going to be actually able to get tested if they're competing for our schools. If we are able to spend the money, the resources to try and control this thing, they are going to have better access uh, by being athletes, by participating than they would in their normal lives. And inherently that, you know, will allow us to catch things like if any of these players test positive, all of these different things. Of course, they're being put in closer contact by practicing, but uh, at least we'll be able to catch it. At least we'll be able to monitor, to test, to trace, to do the things that you know most of us aren't able to do in our daily lives and that we're not able to do it. Believe me, topic for another time, folks. But um, yeah, and so you know, all of that being said, of course, I'm also a Michigan fan. And Michigan football, if you grew up and you went to Michigan or you had parents who went to Michigan, Michigan football is just going to be a staple of your life. And so, of course, I'm used to waking up every Saturday. It's time to kick off college game day. Yeah, we're coming to your city. But, you know, that that's obviously uh, wasn't the case for the Big Ten, the Pac-12 this year. They made the decisions not to play football. Uh, ultimately, we have since learned subsequently that Minnesota and Iowa, uh, based on the lack of revenue, they were able to project moving forward for their athletic departments, they were going to have to cut sports. And two of the uh, the sports cut by them were men's tennis for both programs. And obviously, as a college tennis fan, that infuriates me because I see the bonuses. I know the money get that gets spent on, you know, the new football training centers, the new stadiums. And I get it. Football's the money maker, but, 
you know, the the costs associated with these men's tennis programs are not significant enough to where, okay, we cut men's tennis. All right, now we're fine. Like, thank God we got that big monkey off our back. That's what was weighing this program down. That's just absolutely not the case. Uh, but of course, for so many of these schools who may have been eyeing, it, do, uh, eyeing uh, cutting sports previously, this was just the final straw they needed to go ahead and make that decision. Of course, we learned yesterday that the Big Ten announced they will be playing fall football this season. They're going to start October. October 24th, and one just has to wonder, given that there will now be some revenue coming through the athletic department uh, via football, via the television rights, via all the things, and some of these places I'm sure going to try and have concessions and in-stadium fans and all of these different things to try and make money out of the college football season, even though amateur athletics, but these schools got to make money, right? Um, Which, again, I mock that. It's fair. Like These sports aren't going to pay for themselves. That's absolutely true. Football is, you know, the money-making machine that pays for almost—football and basketball pay for every other college sport. That's just the reality we live in. It's not disrespectful to those other college athletes to acknowledge that fact. And whether that's acceptable, whether that's the premise that, you know, amateur athletics should be built on, believe me, again, conversation for another time. But one has to wonder, like, given that, you know, for Iowa, I think it was a $50 million projected loss. And $50 million, okay, now you're starting, you know, not to justify their cutting of the program, because again, cutting of men's tennis is not going to find you the $50 million you're looking for. Uh, but that's also not going to be the case anymore. And we've seen so many of these athletes who are who have had their programs cut, who have had their futures upended by these decisions, come together, band together, and try and reverse these decisions. And I just don't know how programs like Iowa and Minnesota stand by their choices now that we're playing football. I just, the justification has always been shoddy and I would like to hear more. I would like to see them reconsider. I would like to see them say, given the changing circumstance, because so much of this decision to play Big Ten football is, of course, driven by money. Now, now, yes, again, a lot of these athletes wanted to play, and there's a legitimate argument to be made by having access to the testing and tracing that some of these schools are able to produce for these athletes, that they might actually be better protected than if they were just a regular college student or just a regular college kid. But at the same time, you know, this is a money decision. And if you're going to make a money decision, if you're going to do this because you say, hey, we need to make this revenue to make our athletic department go, well, then you better, if you're going to make this decision, you better reconsider some of the other decisions you made when you were thinking, okay, well, if we're going to sacrifice this, we're going to ask these college athletes to sacrifice as well. Well, now the sacrifice you're asking them to play is, hey, we're asking your fellow athletes to put themselves at risk, and we're taking away opportunity from your other fellow athletes. And that's just... It's just absurd. It's just absurd. It's just it's counterproductive. I, I mentioned this earlier. The you know the uh, Wisconsin chairman or whatever the Wisconsin uh, head, the head of the chancellor that's the word I was looking for was testifying in front of the U.S. Senate and said the other day, well, the primary purpose of college athletics isn't to make money. It's like okay, well, if that if that's not the primary purpose, then why are you remo- you know limiting opportunities or taking away opportunities from these student athletes who have earned and deserve the right to be at these schools moving forward and. You know, there's no good answer for any of these questions right now, of course, but it's just, it feels worth noting, given that the Big Ten is playing football, given that more revenue will be available, and by the way, shout out to Nicole Arbach of The Athletic, who I have, it's just a much follow for everything going on right now in how this global pandemic, COVID-19, and how the lack of playing football or the 
impact of playing football influences all these college athletic departments moving forward. Uh, but it's just, I don't know, it's ridiculous that, that we're still at this place where these schools are trying to justify cutting sports while now, you know, they're, they're carrying on with football and all these different things. So I just, I hope there's some reconsideration there. And of course, that's something we will continue to explore here on the mini break moving forward. But Again, if you have missed any of the action uh, in Rome, you need to prepare yourself for the clay court tennis we are about to see in Paris in under two weeks. Be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, The Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcast. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Be sure to follow us for those daily updates. You want to DM me you know, directly, which I always appreciate when you listeners do. I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Wastoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out making all of this possible and again we do apologize for the delay in the release of today's podcast we are hosting a tournament this weekend just had to make sure everything looks good there but we will be back on schedule moving forward and then again next week all eyes turn to Roland Garros preview content coming your way be on the lookout for all of that which you can find always of course on our website crackrackets.com shout out again to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar Midwest Sports The promo code is CR15Aerobar.com. The promo code is CRACK15. But with that being said, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.